we're going to take our devotionals this morning from the story of the woman at the well. And your roadmap of sorts this morning is going to be three different things that we'll be looking at. We're going to look first at the story itself. And then we're going to walk through some devotionals that I've written out of the story. And then we'll end this up by me asking you the question, what is your story? What does this mean to you? What is your encounter with Jesus at the well that we're reading about? What, what, what do you take home, if you will? So let's begin. The story itself is found in uh, John chapter 1, verse 42, verses 1 through 42. And we're not going to read the whole thing, but I do want you to get a feel for some of it in uh, the English Standard Version, which is what I'll be reading from. So let's look at some of it together. <clears throat> now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than even John the Baptist, although Jesus himself didn't baptize, but only his disciples. Jesus left Judea and departed for Galilee. Now, in a map, if we uh, look at it to make sure that we're on the same page, if this is uh, the Dead Sea, whoa, let's bring the Dead Sea into our picture. There we go. The Dead Sea's growing on you. All right, there's the Dead Sea. Um, this is the Mediterranean over here. Okay, I'm clearly out of uh, my depth dealing with this. That's the Mediterranean. This is the Dead Sea. This is the Jordan River. And up here is the Sea of Galilee. So this is the Jordan. This is the Dead Sea. And this is the Sea of Galilee, or Lake Gennesaret, as it's also called. Okay, but this area up here is Galilee. This area down here is Jerusalem. I guess I should do a Star of David and Judea. Now, what Jesus was doing is he was going from Judea up to Galilee. There were two ways you could do that. You could cross the Jordan and go up through this desert and come back across and go into Galilee. Or you could go straight. But if you went straight, you went through an area called Samaria, which is where the Samaritans were. And the Samaritans were bad dudes in the eyes of the Israelites. The two did not mix very well. So now Jesus is taking the shortcut, if you will, He's going through Samaria. So he left Judea, he departed for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, the sixth hour for us would be 6 a.m., not for them. That means about noon. So uh, they, their hours started at about 6 in the morning for this timekeeping. So the sixth hour, it's lunchtime. 
A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, I want some. For his disciples had gone into the grocery store to get lunch. The Samaritan said to him, Samaritan woman said to him. Now, you know, Luke, I mean, John's not wasting words here. So if you, um, if I were a high school English teacher teaching you how to read, I'd be saying, look for those extra words and try to figure out why they're there. Because we've already been told it's a woman from Samaria. But yet John seems to want to emphasize it again. So he says the Samaritan woman said to him. He could have just said the woman. He could have just said the Samaritan. But he duplicates both because both of those are very important. And and as you're reading and you're hearing about this story, there's something in the back of your head that should tickle now and say, ah, there must be something significant to the fact that this is a Samaritan woman. So the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Again, woman and Samarian, Samaritan used again. Uh, and then John's teaching those people who may not know this because he writes this book 90 or 60 years after this happens, 50, 60 years later, and he's writing it for an area far outside of just Judea and even beyond those of, of Jewish readers. So he wanted everybody to know that the Jews don't have dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her and says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was saying, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The lady says, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And this is a deep well. Where are you getting your living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well. He drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus says, yeah, well, everyone who drinks of this water is going to get thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman says, uh, I want some. Then I don't have to haul these jugs down to this well every day, fill them up. And haul all this water back. This is not a fun task that she eagerly awaited. It's like, how many of you are just really hoping when you get home that the garbage is full in the kitchen? Because you just love the sensation of getting those garbage bags out and hauling it to the trash. It's so much fun. Kind of thing you wish you could do more often. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, well, you're right in saying I have no husband. You've had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. 
woman said, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. She changes the subject. Our fathers... Sir, I perceive you know quite a bit about me, so maybe you know something about something we can talk about other than me. (laughs) Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour's coming when it's neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem where you'll worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know. Salvation is coming from the Jews. So says the Savior, who is Jewish. But the hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father and Spirit in truth. The woman says, hey, I know the Messiah who's also called Christ. I know when he comes, he'll speak to us all things. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples come back. They marveled he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They went out of the town. They were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him and said, Rabbi, whoops, Rabbi, let's make that a little darker. There, Rabbi, eat. And he said, I have food to eat you don't know about. Who brought him something to eat? Did someone bring him something to eat? That was our job. We were going to the grocery store. Jesus said, my food is to do the will who sent me and to accomplish his work. And he goes on to explain. And ultimately, many Samaritans come from the town and believe in him because of the woman's testimony. So that's the story. You got the story? Then if you've got the story, and we go back to the PowerPoint, we'll now move to the devotionals. So look at the devotionals. And the first one is on the weariness of life. <clears throat> and I take it from the passage in John 4, 6 and 7. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey was sitting beside the well. It was about noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. When you read that, do you pause for a moment and see this word, wearied? Jesus was wearied. I don't know that we often think of that. Do you get weary? Are there times where you're just tired? Right now, Miss Carolyn said. Can someone get her some coffee? Are, are there times where maybe it's not a physical weariness, maybe it's an emotional weariness, where you're just frayed, you're just worn out emotionally. Sometimes it it may be a weariness of of the tasks before you. It's not that you're physically weary. It's not even that you're emotionally weary. You're just burned out. Just don't want to do what you got to do. When you get weary in whatever area of life you get weary, remember this passage. 
Jesus got wearied. So here's Jesus. Now, this is Jesus as John has told us about him. Look at the, 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 the things John chose to tell us about Jesus. He starts out his entire book. In the beginning was the Word. The Word's Jesus. Jesus is there. In, he's already existing before creation. Jesus is involved in creation coming to be. You've got Jesus... God responsible for the entire creation of the cosmos. This is the Jesus about whom John says God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him might not perish. This is the savior of the world. The creator of the world. The savior of the world. This is the one who is like unto the father. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the father. Jesus says the father is in me and I am in the father. Jesus and God are one. This is Jesus who can take water and turn it into wine. This is Jesus who can raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully human, which means he got tired. He got weary. I love that picture of Jesus that speaks to me in my weariness. It tells me that we're going to get weary. Physically, emotionally, uh, socially, work, burnout, you name it. We're going to get weary and God knows it. And just as Jesus' weariness caused him to sit at the well while the disciples went to get food. So as Jesus sat at that well, God's encounter with the Samaritan woman, which brought Jesus to the Samaritan town and salvation to so many, it happened. So it tells me that not only we get weary, but that God knows it and God works in our weariness. He meets us there. So our goal in the midst of us trying to... Someone asked me one time, they said, what do you do for a living? And it's easy to say I'm, I'm a lawyer and, and that's my general answer. But for some reason, I was feeling weary when they asked me. So instead of just saying I'm a lawyer, I said... I am a plate spinner. I said, what? And I said, yeah, this is my life. I spin plates. There's about 12 of them right now. And this one's about to fall. So I've got to go over here. And, and then I've got to go. Oh, that one. Oh, this is my life. I spin plates. They said, and you get paid for that? I said, no, but you do have to pay if they fall and break. Um, we get weary. God knows it. 
and God works there. Isn't that nice? I like that part of the story. So when you're weary, take it to the Lord. Meet him at the well in Samaria. Say, you got weary too, and you're the God who created everything. But when you were human, in a human form, you recognized humanity's frailties. Thank you, Lord, and use me anyway. And help me get through this. Next devotional. Jesus, the master teacher. Here's the passage I want to focus on. John 4, 7 through 10. So the woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would have given you living water. I like the way Jesus engages her. One of the cool things about going to law school was the teaching in law school generally, not in all classes, but generally is based on the Socratic method. Now, Socrates was a master teacher. And Socrates, as a master teacher, would teach by asking questions. And that's what law school, most of the classes were like. You'd get uh, a reading assignment, uh, you know, a couple of billion pages each night. And then the next day you would go to class and generally the professors would cold call you. And they would just say to you, Chris, stand up and recite to us the facts of Plessy versus Ferguson. And then Chris would start doing it. And if Chris messed up, he'd say, excuse me, Mr. DuPont, would you please explain to us how you got that? And why did the court do this? And why did the court do that? And basically you got your learning through questions. Socrates understood that there is power in engagement. I, that, that's one of the drawbacks of the format of this class. Is there's no, there's, there's no opportunity for engagement. Now I saw Dale Hearn just nod his head up and down. We had a little engagement there, but not a lot. Miss Carolyn will talk to me periodically during class. But the engagement's not there so readily. It's a drawback. Jesus was a master teacher. And Jesus taught through engagement. He said to the woman, can I have some water? Would you get me some water? Some people read this and say, well, that was pretty callous of him. Well, they didn't use please back then the way we do. It was more in your demeanor and your tone of voice. I don't think Jesus was, hey, lady, give me some water. Every chance you get, hurry. No, I'm sure it was, a, in today's language, it would have been a much more, hey, could I please have some water? Would you get me some, please? This engagement, we need to understand, does not come out of God's need. 
this is the same Jesus who's already turned water into wine. Do you really think that the creator of the world truly needed the Samaritan woman to drop her bucket down the well and pull it up by a rope with some water? This is kind of like the psalmist who says, don't think for a moment that God needs your sacrificed bull. Every cow on the planet belongs to God. See, Jesus wasn't engaging her because Jesus had a need that could not be filled otherwise. Jesus engaged the woman. He asked the woman for something for the good of the woman. See, God seeks from us for us. Well, I better do this for God. If I don't go teach on Sunday morning at Champion Forest Baptist Church, God's kingdom will fall. For there is no one else who can do such a thing. Ha! That's a joke. I don't... God doesn't seek from me... And He doesn't seek from you because He needs us. We need Him. He seeks from us for us. Jesus is a master teacher. What an amazing God we serve. When we have opportunities to live in holiness, putting Him and His desires first in our lives, we will grow and will become what we should be. We will learn what life is all about. When we do what He tells us to do, when He do what He asks of us, when we follow Him in holiness and purity and righteousness, when we do what the Lord wants, it changes us into who we need to be. We're the ones who learn. We're the ones who figure out what life is all about. We're the ones who are being changed into a better reflection of Him. I need to look at life a little bit differently than I have before. All right, next devotional. Happy early birthday! Is it by any chance anyone's true birthday today out there? Happy birthday! Happy birthday! Anybody else? Okay, I'm guessing by looking at the two of y'all, y'all don't look anything alike. I'm betting you're not twins, so probably a different mom. Okay, but same birthday. Pretty cool stuff. If you're not, I wish you a happy early birthday. I love birthdays. 
We grew up in a family where mom made our birthday so incredible that I can remember growing up thinking, life is not fair. Why do I only have one birthday a year? I should have been born like two or three times a year so we could enjoy this more. You got to pick the food. You got to ask for presents. You got presents. You got to pick what kind of cake mom would make. I always picked German chocolate. Mom made an incredible German chocolate cake. No one else picked it. Dad always picked chocolate cake with white icing. Catherine, what did you pick? Say it again. White on white. Oh, yeah, with extra frosting and all of that stuff. She's like, forget the cake. Just give me the frosting. (laughs) And Holly, she was the last one. We didn't really care. (laughs) But mom did. I love birthdays. Who? Now, some people don't. And and I recognize that. And if you didn't grow up in a home that celebrated great birthdays, I'm sorry. Figure out how this applies anyway. (laughs) But I love birthdays. I'll just be blunt. Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you'd have asked him, i.e. me, and he would have given you Living water. And I got to tell you, I love birthdays. So I I thought about that when I I wrote the devotional on this verse. And let me tell you why. We've got this Greek word gift. And I want you to see this Greek word gift. It's Doria in the Greek. Or put it up there, Doria. I want you to see this Greek word gift, and I want you to know that Doria in the Greek is referencing a gift that is freely given. It's not the same word as the word that Paul uses for a gift, the, the charis word that he uses, uh, that David Fleming was talking about, Pastor David, this morning in the sermon in Ephesians. It's a different Greek word. But this word, Doria, does mean a gift that's freely given. It's not dosis, another Greek word, which isn't quite of the same connotation. So the Greeks had multiple words for gifts. This is a gift that's freely given. It's bounty. It's, it's, it's like, here you go. Great gifts. A gift that is freely given. Now look at it then. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, living water is a strange phrase. How many of you, when you go to a restaurant, will drink water? Raise your hands. A lot of you. Sometimes we'll ask, I'll ask, um, we, we have a family of unique people. And so if you go to eat with our son, he will always want to make sure that you get tap water, that he gets tap water. So he will say, uh, I'll just have tap water. He thinks it's absurd to spend money on any other kind of water. You drink tap water. And he's worried if he doesn't say tap water that the wait person will bring a bottle of water and pour it. 
So he won't say still water. He'll say tap water. I, on the other hand, I tend to like fizzy water. So I'll ask for sparkling water. And because I've handled a bunch of lawsuits that involve water that's been tainted and laced with benzene, the last thing in the world I want is tap water. So if it's not going to be fizzy water, bring me a bottle of water so I can sue whoever it is that put it in there if it's got benzene. Safer yet, I'll take a Diet Dr. Pepper. Which probably has more chemicals than the benzene tap water. But whoever says, uh, I would like some living water, please. A glass. Speaking of glasses. A glass of your finest living water, please. Nobody. Well, what does this phrase mean? Jesus is there at the water well. There's an expression for well water. And that's the water that's down in the well. This was a deep well, though. You, you couldn't just scoop down and grab it with your hand. You had to drop the bucket far. That's why the woman says, hey, it's a deep well. You ain't got anything to get it with. But living water was an expression for something that's flowing and alive. That's why it's called living water. It's flowing. There's a great expression contrasting the two waters in Jeremiah, isn't it 2.13? Yes, Jeremiah 2.13. Jeremiah writes, My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves that can hold no water. They've hewn out their own little water wells, their own tanks, holding tanks for water. They don't hold water. But who wants stagnant water when they can have living water, that clean, flowing, fresh stuff? It looks like it belongs on the commercials, you know. It's that good stuff. And that's what Jesus says. Now, what does Jesus mean by he would provide living water? Well, living water is also what he uses later on in John to express what the Spirit is. The Holy Spirit. Living water is vibrant water. It's life. It's, it's pure. It's undefiled. It's the best. Jesus says, this is the water that's flowing. It's not just water you have to haul to and haul from. Now, to get this gift, the key is right up here at the top. If you knew the gift of God, and if you knew who it is that's saying this to you, If you knew Jesus, the gift of God, you would have flowing out of your heart a river of life. What was that song we sang this morning? 
there was a song we sang this morning and I thought, oh, that's exactly it. But I don't remember what it was. (laughs) But we sang it and it was. This marvelous river of life that flows from the Lord is ours if we know Him. And this is not a gift we get once a year on our birthday. This is a 24-7, 365 day a year, except for leap year when it's 366 days. Birthday gift. Knowing Jesus. And if we don't pause for a moment and recognize that Jesus says it, you need to know the gift and the one who gave it. And then you got it. Next devotional. Don't be clueless. Don't be clueless. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, who it was that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, he would have given you living water. The woman said, sir, you don't have anything to draw water with and the well's deep. Where are you going to get it? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well. Look, she's clueless. She doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. You know, I, I chuckle at her, but then I keep reading the story and I read about the end where, where the disciples come with the food. They've gone through, you know, McDonald's or whatever and gotten the, well, it's not kosher to have a quarter pounder with cheese because you don't mix milk and meat. So, right, Rick? Okay, so they had a quarter pounder without cheese. No mayo either, because I'd met. I, I, I'm saying they got the food and they come to Jesus and they said, Hey, we got the food. You need to eat. He says, Oh man, I've been eating. I've been feasting. Go, Whoa, who brought you food? No, 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 no. My food is feasting on the word of God, on the, the plans of God. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I've had a feast. You, the disciples were clueless too. John makes the story real clear. You can't just say stupid Samaritan woman. Didn't have a clue. Because the disciples were just as clueless. And they'd been following Jesus around for a long time. So I look at this story and I immediately think, okay, I'm probably clueless too. In a number of different areas, let's go ahead and just get that on the table and recognize it. Because I do think we all tend to forget How stunning it is that the God of all wants to engage us in a one-on-one relationship. I mean, think about it for just a moment. Here is a woman who's not a well-to-do lady. She's not high in society. She's not the bon vivant of Samaria. She's not the one who's on the front page of the social columns. She is just a nameless face going through the daily drudgery that she's had to go through all her life of hauling heavy clay 
jugs to a well, the back-breaking job of dropping them in and plugging them up with calluses on her hands from having to do this work every day all of her life. Did she ever remotely dream that she was going to have a one-on-one encounter with the Savior of the world? That she was going to be able to look Jesus in the face? You ask me, what Jesus look like? I don't have a clue. I've seen the paintings, but they're all too recent. She could tell us. She could tell us what he wore, what his hair was like, his complexion, what his build was, what kind of jandals he wore. She had a one-on-one encounter With Jesus, Yeshua, Hamashiach, the Savior of the world. On a day where she had no clue that was coming. She probably never dreamed. Why her? Shouldn't he be talking to Caesar? God wants to engage you and me. In a one-on-one relationship. And if I forget how stunning that is, I'm clueless. Next devotional. Sometimes I read the Bible and I just smile. This is one of those, I'm reading it in the Greek and I just smile. I want you to share the smile, so we got to look at it together. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, well, you're right in saying I don't have a husband. You have five of them, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. (laughs) She's, um, you know, I don't smile at her pain. The idea of going through five marriages. I mean, you, you, you remember the. The parody of the Rambo movies, I don't remember which one it was, but where they're torturing the guy and they've got him tied to the metal bed frame, uh, box springs, the metal box springs, and they're about to hook up the battery cables to him. You know, tell us the truth or we're gonna, we're gonna torture you. And the guy says, uh, you know, you do your best. I can withstand torture. I've been married. <laughs> and everybody kind of, Cringes, and then he looks at him. He says, "Twice," and they're like, "Oh!" You know, I recognize that anybody who's been through five marriages has been through a lot of pain. I don't smile at that. I feel bad for that. I recognize that someone in the midst of her station in life, no doubt, is hurting severely and is probably depressed and probably thinks that. Life has dealt them a very raw deal. I don't smile at that. I don't smile at other people's misery. But I still smile at this story because in my mind, 
This is a little bit like for her to engage Jesus the way she tries to. She tries to outsmart him and trick him. And bless her heart, that's about like a three-year-old trying to take on LeBron James in basketball. I mean, it's just like, it's like, uh, no, not possible. That's like, that's like the kid's finger painting to teach Leonardo da Vinci how to do the Mona Lisa. Ah, it's not going to happen. You just, this is not even uh, women versus girls or men versus boys. This is like, these aren't in the same arena. Look at the passage. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right in saying I don't have a husband. You've had five. Here's what it is. I have no husband in the Greek. Uk echo andra. Uk means not. Echo, I have. Andra, husband. Not, I have a husband. I'm not married. Not. And in Greek, they don't write it with italics. They don't write with bold. They don't have exclamation marks. They don't underline for emphasis. The main, one of the main ways to convey emphasis in the Greek language is by word order. So when she says that first word is no, I don't have a husband. Go get your husband and come here. I know I don't have a husband. I'm not married. That's what the woman says. Now, Jesus's reply is, you're right in saying I have no husband. Jesus uses her three words, but he flips the order. Jesus says, Andra Uk Echo. Jesus says, so it's, it's Andra, husband, Uk, not, Echo, I have. She says, no, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, oh, a husband? You don't have. Cause you've had five of them. And the guy you're living with right now is not your husband. And you're saying it right. Don't have the emphasis quite right, but don't parse words with me. We don't parse, we don't trick God with our language. Well, I didn't technically lie. I spoke in the present tense, not the past tense. Whatever is, is. No, you don't trick God with language. You don't pull the wool over his eyes. You don't deceive God. It doesn't happen. So I see that and I smile. You want to trick Jesus? You want to hide who you are? You want to hide who you, what you've done? Is, do, do we really, do we really think that we can pull that off? No chance. God cares for you. Period. Full stop. We'll do this one quickly. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? John four twenty seven. Did you know people come in all shapes and varieties and dispositions? 
There are happy people. There are sad people. There are optimists. There are pessimists. There are realists. Optimist says glass is half uh, full. Realists, I mean, uh, the, the pessimist says it's half empty. The engineer says uh, get a smaller glass. I mean, th- there are different people with different mindsets. I stole that from Dilbert, by the way. It was not original with me. Different educations. Different socioeconomic levels. Different family units. Different pasts. Different futures. People all over the spectrum, all different kinds of varieties. Now, at the time of Jesus, we have good, good documents that reflect what the rabbis were teaching. We have, we have the Mishnah. We have the Talmud. We have good documents that teach us the rabbinical sayings at the time of Jesus. I want to share with you some. I've told you that the Jews wouldn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. But how about men with women? The Mishnah, Avot 1.5. He that talks much with womankind brings evil upon himself and neglects the study of the law and at the last will inherit Gehenna, hell. That's what the rabbis were saying. Don't talk to women. I told you it's significant that John keeps pointing out over and over and over again, the woman, the woman, the Samaritan woman, the Samaritan woman, the Samaritan woman. Here's another one. And this is from a woman, the wife of a rabbi, chides another rabbi who comes up to her and says, by which road do we go to Lydda? And the rabbi's wife chides him and says, you could have just said, which road to Lydda? You used more words than you needed to use with me. Fool? Didn't the sages say, engage not in much talk with women? You could have done it with two less words. Fool. Jesus turns that teaching upside down. A lot of people say Jesus and Paul, they were misogynists, they were anti-women. Oh, heavens, no. In their day, in their station in life, when Paul writes neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, when Jesus engages in this dialogue, when Paul does, when he writes in his letters and includes messages to the women, it's very Against That was putting the normalcy of Jewish rabbinical teaching on its head. Jesus wasn't worried about the woman's gender. Jesus was concerned about her soul. Jesus wasn't worried about her nationality. Jesus was concerned about her soul. Jesus wasn't worried about whether or not she was an illegal immigrant. Jesus was concerned about her soul. Jesus wasn't worried about whether or not she was rich. Jesus was concerned about her soul. Jesus wasn't worried about whether or not she'd been married seven times or a hundred times or fifty hundred times. He was worried about her soul. He wanted her to know Jesus, to know God and what he has to offer. And that tells me that God cares for you and he cares for me, period, full stop. So here's the question. What's your story? 
Which of these speak to you today? Are you weary? If so, no, God will work through that. Are you engaging with God? Is God seeking you to do something for Him? If so, know that He's not doing it because He needs it. He's doing it because you need it. Do you know Him? Do you know this life and living water that He offers us? Or are you clueless of what He's about? And you just keep going through your life. Are you trying to fool him? Do you recognize that this is for you? Those are your points for home in a little different way. Can we close with a word of prayer? Father, I thank you for the encounter, not only that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman, but that you had John see fit to record it and you've kept your word safe for us for posterity so that we could read it and we could encounter you there as well. And that is my prayer. That those who spend time in this story will understand how you reach out to us to know us, to engage us, to use us, to work through our weariness, to bring us to a place to show your love not only with us, but for everyone, this gift that you give us. That's our prayer. Through Jesus, our Lord. In your name, God. Amen. See you guys next Sunday.